The scripture reading this evening is from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Again, that's Luke 2, verses 41 through 52, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The term absentee parent has unfortunately become an all too often accurate description of too many people in today's America. A few weeks ago when we had a lesson specifically directed at fathers, I threw out some statistics that uh, are alarming. And I'll not go back over all of the specifics of those, but just by way of reminder, the statistics show that children that are raised in homes without a father are more likely to live in poverty, have emotional and behavioral problems, have poor mental health, be more sexually active, commit crimes, and abuse drugs and alcohol. Now, those are not hard and fast rules. There are exceptions to that, but the statistics are what they are. And they do illustrate the challenges that some homes are facing. Now, while those uh, statistics, those numbers are specific to single-parent homes... Let's not think that just because both parents sleep under the same roof, that they're automatically, by doing so, fulfilling their duties as parents. And I think that may have been a point that we made in a previous lesson also. That sometimes we find parents that are essentially absentees in their own homes because they're not active in the lives of their family. We are in the middle, nearing actually the conclusion of a brief series of lessons that we've called Making Marriage Great. And part of that, or in part of that series, we focused on 
wives and mothers, husbands and fathers. Tonight's lesson is going to address parenting in general. Because when a husband and a wife work together in raising of their children, that strengthens a marriage. One of the things that is uh, in uh, some homes, unfortunately, is when the children in the home recognize that they can get one parent against the other. When situations arise where one parent says one thing, but that if they go to the other parent, that they will, uh, they will uh, overthrow the decision of the other. And they are able to manipulate circumstances that they shouldn't be able to do. Parents should not allow that to happen. Parents need to be on the same page in dealing with matters with regard to their children. Because it's a disservice to the children when you don't do that. And so, it can strengthen your marriage, your relationship with other husbands and wives, when you are on the same page, and not just the same page, but the right page in helping uh, to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. And so that's one of the things, that's what we're going to talk specifically about tonight with regard to making our marriages stronger. And that is uh, proper principles of parenting. Wendell Winkler offers the following suggestions uh, from this text based on the parenting of Mary and Joseph, and I wanted to share those with you tonight. What do we learn from this text, from Luke chapter 2, 41 through the end of the chapter, about good parenting principles that were exhibited in the home of Mary and Joseph? Let me offer you these suggestions. Number one, teach your children the value of worship. Teach your children the value of worship. When the text, this section begins, verse 41 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And the next verse says, They did that as was the custom. The Passover was an annual feast that required the Jewish families to travel from wherever they lived to Jerusalem for the prescribed festivities of the Passover week. And the Bible says that Mary and Joseph did that customarily. They did it by way of it. They did it every year. Because that's what the law required. Now, when we think about our circumstances today in the church... We don't have annual feast days that require us to travel to some other location. But we do have first day of the week assemblies, do we not? That God has, uh, has set up in, in the church, that, uh, that the, the, the church was to assemble, is to assemble on the first day of the week to offer worship and praise to God, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. That is a customary thing. Not customary because human beings created it, but it's customary because God set that in place. And so parents, do your children know how important that weekly assembly of the church is? 
Or is it more of a case in your home that as Sunday approaches, perhaps maybe on Saturday evening or Saturday night, as as people are as your family's getting ready to go to bed, do your children have to ask you, are we going to church tomorrow? Or are we not? Is is it is it so much of a hit and miss circumstance and situation in your home that your children don't know from one week to the next if you're going to assemble with the saints? Or do they know because it has become custom, it's become habit, it's become just a simple part of your life that, hey, it's Sunday and we are worshiping with the saints on the first day of the week. Mary and Joseph were evidently raising their children, Jesus among them, to respect God's prescribed worship. And we can learn a great lesson from them to teach our children how valuable these assemblies are. Number two, good parenting involves teaching your children how to listen. Teaching your children how to listen. Part of what Jesus was doing in the temple was listening. If you'll look in the text in Luke chapter 2, 36, as you know, with the circumstances were such that they had gone to the Passover, and because this was a, 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 a feast, a, a period of worship that all the Jewish people, uh, they, they traveled in large caravans often to Jerusalem. As they're traveling back, they they lost the local Jesus. Well, he was back in Jerusalem and uh, was in the temple. And notice, 36, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, notice, listening to them and asking them questions. Let's focus on sensible part of learning. Yet we find some folks, some children, some adults, that always to, to feel the need to express themselves, but seldom allowing others the same privilege. We cannot overemphasize the importance of listening when it comes to learning. Jesus said in Luke 8, verse 18, Take heed how you hear. Isn't that interesting? Take Pay attention to how you listen. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the text we studied this morning, the writer there emphasized the importance of listening, the importance of the things that we hear. Let's pay the greater amount of attention to the things which we have heard, lest we drift from them. But we can't pay attention to the things that we've heard unless we remember what we've heard. And you're not going to remember what you've heard unless you're actively listening. Parents, it's so important to teach your children how to listen. Whether it's in worship, whether it's in Bible class, whether it's in school, whether wherever it may be. Children need to be taught to sit quietly and pay attention. Perhaps you heard the story of Socrates, 
who was widely known in the ancient Greek world for his ability to communicate, for um, his exceptional prowess at, uh, at rhetoric, uh, speaking. An individual came to him, a young man one time, as, as the, the, the legend goes, came to Socrates and wanted for Socrates to take him as a student and teach him the fine art of, of speaking and communication. And in the process of, of their talking, the story goes that this young man just went on and on and on and on talking and yammering and going on and on about how important it was for him and how much he wanted to learn and just kept talking and talking until finally Socrates stopped him. And he said, young man, I will gladly take you. And the young man said, he said, well, because I'm going to have to teach you two disciplines. First, I'm going to have to teach you how to hold your tongue. And then I'll have to teach you how some people have not yet been taught how to hold their tongues. How to sit quietly and listen as another in teaches them. Jesus in the temple, the Son of God, sat while the, while the, the doctors, the instructors in the temple, while they taught, He sat and listened to them. Parents, teach your children how to listen. Teach them when it's appropriate to speak, and certainly there are times for that. Jesus Himself would ask questions, so appropriate times to speak and to ask, but there are also appropriate times when they just need to be quiet and listen. Parents will give children a great service and benefit if we can teach them that lesson. Number three. Teach your children how to study. Teach them how to study, specifically how to, to understand the Word of God. If you look back in our text 2, verse 47, as Jesus was interacting with these learned men, verse 47 says, And all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. So we learned in the previous verse that He... And that he asked them questions. We learn in verse 47 that evidently they were asking him some questions too. Because he was giving them answers. And amazing them process. Think about that. A young man, 12 years old. Sitting in the company of doctors of the law. And astonishing them at how much he understood with regard to the law. That's an amazing thing. But we're tempted to think, well, yeah, I mean, he was amazing them. He's the Son of God. I mean, he, he had at his disposal miraculous, uh, you know, inspiration and, and information. He, he was in a position, having come from heaven, to have this miraculous insight into the law, he was simply, you know, this this was a this was a miracle of knowledge. I'm not so certain that's the case. Is it not stated in John chapter two, verse eleven, that when Jesus, in his adult years, 
had gone to Cana, the little village of Cana, and he and his disciples attended a wedding. And in the process of, of the, the, the wedding feast and the celebration, uh, they, they ran out of wine. And Jesus ultimately uh, provided some for them miraculously. And isn't it the case that John says in John 11 that this miraculous event in Cana was the first of his miracles. Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, if the first miracle that Jesus performed was at the wedding feast of Cana, then I guess we can't attribute what he did in Luke chapter 2 at the age of 12 as miracle. Was it? If it wasn't the result of miraculous insight, how do you explain his ability to amaze the temple teachers? May I suggest to you the result of parental training? May I suggest to you that that may be very well be the result of the instruction that he was receiving in his home? Mary and Joseph took action of Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9 very seriously, which stated in the law, This law shall be in your hearts. You shall teach it to your children. When you rise up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, you shall you know, put them on the doorposts of your house. Basically, the idea in all of that is you need to bring the teachings of God into your daily life. So from the time you get up to the time you go to bed, you those teaching moments, those opportunities to help your children to understand who God is and what His law teaches. It sounds like Joseph took that very seriously. And Jesus was the beneficiary of that instruction. And so in verse 52 of Luke 2, at the end of that chapter, it says he grew. He grew in wisdom. Well, if he had, if he had all of that, you know, if he had miraculous understanding from, from you know, the time or whatever, which he didn't, but, I mean, if, if you're going to argue that, how could he grow? How could he mature? That's a process, isn't it? And so in those years, while he was a child, he was experiencing the process of maturity and growth. Now, I can't explain all of the component uh, parts of the, 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 the incarnation. Jesus being fully human and fully God and how all of that worked together. I can't explain all that. I just know what the text says. And the text said he grew. Well, that implies making progress in his wisdom and in other things. Well, that's going to be the result of parents who are involved. Teach your children how to study. Next. Parents, teach your children to be obedient. Teach them how to obey. Look at verse 51. Luke 2, verse 51. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Submissive to them. Jesus understood his role in the home. And respected the roles of Mary and Joseph. He was subject to them. You know, that's part of why, or one of the main reasons why God wants for children to learn to be obedient to their parents is because of the foundation that that gives them later in life. Do we not want our children, when they grow up, to be respectful of things like civil law? We don't want our children to grow up and, and, and break the laws of our land where they end up in, in jail or in prison. We don't want that for our children. We want them to respect those who are in positions of authority. Don't want children to grow up and respect their teachers in school? Sure. Don't we want them to grow up and, and respect elders Sure, we want them to do that. Don't we want them to grow up and respect adults? In yes. Don't we want our kids to grow up? Yeah. We want all of that for our children. Well, how does that start? How, how, do, we, how do children learn to be respectful of God? To be respectful of be respectful of adults, be respectful of elders, be respectful toward people who are in positions of authority in, in, in government, police officers and, and city council, whoever it may be. To be how do how do they learn that? Who is the first authority figures that children are ever exposed to? It's you, parents. So when you can teach your children from the very earliest of ages are beginning to grasp. If you teach them to respect you as a person who is in authority, that they owe respect, you teach them to do that for you. And you're going to be in the best position for them to then see people who are in positions of authority and show respect to them. And we do our children a great disservice if we don't make them mind. Are you listening, parents? Especially parents of younger children. When we don't expect our children to do as they're told, and if there are no consequences, to children if they don't do as they're told. You're laying a foundation not for them to respect the authority of elders and the, the authority ultimately of God. You're teaching them instead that authority doesn't exist. That I'm the authority. Because even though mom said for me to do this, I don't have to because she's not going to make me. And if I don't have to obey mom or dad, well, why is anybody going to expect me to, to, to be respectful to the elders in the church? Because they don't know. 
have never been taught that no means no. We have too many parents, it seems to me, don't have a backbone that allow their children to run the home because they essentially just do as they please. Hey, that's not God's will. Parents are the ones that are in the position to teach the children what it means to be obedient. To teach what it means to be respectful toward those who are in authoritative positions over them. But if parents aren't going to... Children are going to have a hard time. We're really not helping our children when we don't teach them to obey. We may think we're trying to be their friend or we're trying this or other. Not helping them. If they don't learn... What mom says or what dad says goes. And parents, because I said so, is a good enough reason for a child. Now, there may be other reasons, and you may want to give them. But if the only reason, because I said so, that's sufficient. You know, there are some commandments that God has given us that we don't really know why He gave them. Because He didn't tell us. But because God said so, isn't that sufficient? Sure it is. But how do we want our kids to, under, to understand and appreciate that point? If at some point they don't learn, I do this because mom said so. Or because dad said so. And that's enough. Parents, teach your children... To obey. And then finally, teach your children to be involved in God's business. Jesus said to Mary and Joseph when they found him, He said, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Our children need to be about the business of the Lord and how important it is to be involved in it. Our children need to be taught the importance of giving. That it is more to give than to receive. The word is Acts 20, verse 35. Our children need to be taught the importance of serving others. Taught 25, verses 34. And follow that through serving others, actually serving Jesus. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it. When we teach our children to look at opportunities where there are others in need, and that we are taking advantage of the opportunity to help them. We expect that, that this is God's business. This is God's will. These, these are people that God loves. And so we're trying to show the love of God to them. Our children need to be taught the importance of being a good example. Matthew 5, verse 16, letting our lights shine before others that they may ultimately glorify God. We need to teach our children to be ready to affirm what's right. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. To be ready to give answer, to give a defense, reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. We need to teach our children the living life to the glory of God. 
that ultimately that's what life's about. It's about honoring God. In whatever we do, First Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, Peter mentions several things there that, that people are involved in. And he says, at the end of that, wrapping it all up, he says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our children need to know that. They need to be taught that. That ultimately life is about bringing to God. And that we can do that in whatever it is that we choose to do in life that is in itself an honorable thing. There's no greater work, no greater business than the work and business of the Lord. It's not always easy, but it's the only way to live. And our children need to be taught how important it is to be involved in that. Our children need to be taught, ultimately, what it means to love. To love God and to love others. And everything that is involved in that. And if we teach our children these things, if we teach them how to be obedient study and, and come to better understand God's will and how to listen and, and the value of worship and we involve our children in all that. Their relationship with you will be stronger. It reminds me of the story of, of some, some kids that were, uh, that were out and they were bored. And they were trying to figure out something to do. Everybody got the bright idea. That, uh, that they would do something that they thought would be fun. could get them in trouble. And so they were talking about them. were saying, hey, yeah, let's do it. It'll be fun. And others saying, I don't know. That may not be a good idea. And, and one boy spoke up. And, Look, I, I'm just not going to do it. Because if I did that, my daddy would kill me. And another boy spoke up and he said, I, look, I'm not doing it either. Because if I did that, it would kill my dad. That's the relationship that we want to have with our kids. That they come to know and understand that, you know, if... If I don't live the way I'm supposed to live, if I don't make good choices, it's going to destroy my parents, and I just can't handle that. I love them too much to inflict that kind of punishment on them. But if we want that kind of close relationship, that this is how it happens. You teach them the importance of worship. You teach them about God and the nature of that affects life and you teach them to be obedient you teach them about listening and learning and how to understand the word of God and be involved in God's work and strengthen parent-child relationships to the degree that that relationship that we all want with our children to be close to be all on the same page spiritually speaking to be all headed in the right direction toward heaven I can remember so many lessons that my taught me. They would be the first. My dad not with us anymore. My mom, of course, here. 
They would be the first to, to, to say that they weren't perfect parents. But who is? Only not. But I can remember so many things that my parents did teach me, through my teenage years especially, that help me even today. And I can remember that the more I listened to them, the easier my life was. When I was growing up, everything worked out so much easier when I listened to them, when I took their advice, even when I didn't at times understand it. But they took a proactive part. Parents are proactive with your children. Or are you an absentee parent? Though you still live under the same roof. The best foundation for your family and mine is a foundation that includes our active participation in the spiritual well-being of our kids. And what a great example Mary and Joseph leave us. Pray with me, would you? Father, we're grateful that we can approach you anytime in prayer. Those of us who are parents approach you admitting our weaknesses, admitting at times our failures, admitting that we haven't always done things the right way. But we're grateful for grace. We're grateful for mercy. We pray, Father, that as we turn to you, that, that we would be accepting of, of your grace. And that uh, to be the kind of people that we ought to be for our children, whether our children are still in our homes or not, that we would try to be the best example that we can be and the best teachers that we can be. And we're thankful for the example that Mary and Jesus in Scripture principles that we learn from them, and we pray that the degree we can, we will implement those in our own lives, in our own homes. We pray, Father, for our children, so thankful for them. We pray that uh, our children would, would learn to possess a relationship with you that is deep and strong, that will out their lives to have ever you would bless new parents that you would bless them with with wisdom and understanding and we pray that uh, that all of us whether parents or not would always our trust, our faith in you and in the principles that you've revealed to us in your word. Bless us, Father, according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to offer the Lord's invitation tonight, as we always do. One who is ready to come out of the world, be added to the body of Christ.
And if you are in that number, we want to help you to do that. If you'll tell us what your need is, study the Word of God with you and help you to understand it so that you might be obedient to it. There may be a Christian in the assembly tonight who needs the prayers of your Christian family, one or another. Whatever that reason might be, if you would like your need, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you. And so if you are subject to the invitation tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.